are listening to a message from Bethany First Church of the Nazarene, online at bethanynaz.org. So a pastor went to a nursing home one day to visit a resident there who had attended his church, but had to move into the nursing home because she was struggling severely with some memory issues. And so he saw her out in this room where there were lots of residents kind of gathered, sitting around together. And so he goes and he finds a chair and he pulls the chair up right in front of her. And, and he, looks, he looks at her in the eye and he smiled real big and he says to this elderly lady, he says, Do you know who I am? And she looked at him for a moment and then she said, No. But if you go to that desk over there, they can tell you. And what I think makes the story kind of cute is because you think maybe she's been to the desk before, right? This issue of memory loss became real in our family a few years ago. My dad had brain surgery about 14 years ago, which really began the process, and I'm sure there are other complications to memory loss. But one day my brother came in, and when he walked in the door, my dad said to my brother, so where's your wife? And my brother, just really aggravating my dad, said, my wife, she has a name. And my dad looked at my brother like, you're trying to be smart, aren't you? And then he responded with what made him kind of proud. He said, I know she has a name. I have it written down over there. (laughs) Do you ever wonder, or do you ever think about it? If if maybe as a church, and, and I don't mean just Bethany First Church of the Nazarene, but as the church of Jesus Christ, do you ever wonder if we are beginning to suffer some from memory loss? Do you ever wonder if, like the elderly lady in the nursing home dealing with memory issues, that we have forgotten who we are or who we have been called to be or who we have been commissioned to become? That's why I decided that we should take some time here in the month of July And we should just talk about it. We should just come every Sunday and talk about who is it that we are? And who has God called us to be? And who have we been commissioned uh, to become? Here's what I believe in my heart. I believe that all of us, every one of us, know deep in our hearts that something is terribly wrong. I believe that every one of us are aware of the fact that we are not all that we should be. And things are not as they should be in church life. We know that we have been forgiven of our sin because of the cross. We know that we have been raised to new life because of the resurrection and the grace of Jesus. But we don't have the kind of passion that we believe we should have. I mean, when I open the Bible and I look at the early church, man, I am amazed at the passion with which they followed Jesus. They were passionate about telling people about Jesus. They were passionate about becoming like Jesus. And there were people who said, you better be careful. You're going to get in trouble. You might be persecuted if you don't stop. They would say, we can't stop talking about it. And there were sometimes they even were warned, they might take your life over this. They might kill you. And they still came back and said, we can't stop talking about Jesus. We have a mission in front of us. So every Sunday, we come in this room, 
And while we're sitting, just like we're sitting now, somebody stands up where I am and they say, you know, here at BFC, we are passionate about two things. We are passionate about telling people about Jesus and we are passionate about helping people become more like Jesus. And I wonder if there's ever a Sunday when you think to yourself when that is being said, are we really passionate about those things? Are we really passionate about becoming more like Jesus? I mean, are we really passionate about helping people come to know Jesus? I mean, are we passionate about that? And I wonder if there's ever a Sunday when you ask yourself the question. I mean, you just point it straight at yourself and you just ask yourself, am I really passionate about helping somebody else find Jesus? Am I really passionate about becoming like Jesus? I mean, I think we're passionate about a lot of stuff. I think there's some people in the room who are passionate about OU football. I think there's some people in the room who are passionate about OSU football. I think there's even some Texas fans in the room. Oh, my goodness. Maybe we should go back to the OU again, huh? There we go. I thought so. That's the most excited you've been the whole sermon right there. That was it. (laughs) I'm passionate about my granddaughter. What if we became passionate about two things? What if we became passionate about becoming more like Jesus? What if that's what got our blood pumping? What if that's what we said we're going to spend money on? What if that's what got our hearts beating fast? What if we said we are passionate about helping people come to know Jesus? What if that's what got our blood pumping? What if that's what got our hearts beating fast? What if that's what we said, I'll spend my money on that because that's what I'm passionate about? You understand, this is what Jesus calls us to. So grab a Bible and open it to the book of Matthew, chapter 28, okay? Matthew, chapter 28, and I'm going to start reading with verse 16. So here's the way the book of Matthew ends. He's told the story of the life of Jesus. He has shared the gospel, the good news, and he comes down to the very end, and this is the final paragraph, and here's what he says. Then the eleven disciples. Breaks my heart. Does it yours? It's the first time Matthew had to say 11 instead of 12. But there was a guy named Judas who was a disciple and he was passionate about something. It wasn't power that he was passionate about. It wasn't even sex that he was passionate about. But he was passionate about money. In fact, he was more passionate about money than he was passionate about becoming like Jesus. That was his passion. Money. And he chose money over Jesus, and then he couldn't live with himself, and he takes his own life. And so Matthew says, then the eleven disciples, it breaks my heart, but it's only eleven, went to Galilee, to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. Now, to understand that, you've got to go back to verses 5 through 10. And maybe even earlier on in the Gospel of Matthew, Jesus becomes very popular when he appears on the scene 30 years prior to Matthew writing the Gospel, okay? 
thousands of people would come to hear his message. They would come to watch him perform miracles. They would come to listen to him preach about the kingdom of God. What is it like to be part of the community of God? What are the values of the community of God? What's it like to live in that kind of community? But he was opposed by the religious leaders of Israel. He was arrested. He was tried by both the Romans and the Jews. And then he was sentenced to crucifixion, execution. And on a cross one Friday, they killed him. And so finally, the leaders are saying, the whole Jesus thing is done. The whole Jesus stuff is finally over. Get beyond the Jesus movement. It's gone. Until three days later, there were rumors that he had appeared to his disciples. In fact, the rumors continued for 40 days. He kept showing up. And the news was finally confirmed that Jesus had risen from the dead, that he was alive. And so what do you do when you see a man that you watched down a cross and you buried him in a tomb and you know he was in the tomb for two full days and then he appears before you? And here's what they do. They worshiped him. Matthew says. When they saw him, they worshipped him. But, but Matthew adds, some doubted. Now, that's hard to understand. We don't know who doubted. If the eleven disciples fell on their faces and worshipped him, did they then doubt him? Or were there others among them who doubted? And here's what I've concluded. I doubt we will ever know what Matthew meant when he said they doubted. <laughs> Until we get to heaven. But he says some doubted him. And when Jesus came to them, he said, and now the rest of the letters are in red. Lean forward. Pay closer attention. Here we go. All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. You have all authority, Jesus? You're now ruling the world? We'll talk about that in a minute. Therefore, go. Make disciples of all nations baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. This is what I want you to do. I'm commissioning you. I want you to make disciples and baptize them. I want you to help people come to know Jesus. And then I want you to teach them. I want you to get engaged in this process of discipleship. I want you to help people become more like me. And so Jesus says there's two things, two things I want you to give your life to, two things I want you to be passionate about, two things I want you to be willing to die for, and that is helping people come to know me and helping people become like me. That's it. And then there's this incredible promise, and he says, and surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. Now, once in a while, I will talk to somebody who says to me, Pastor Rick, this is the only church I've ever attended in my life. And, and maybe they're in their late 80s. And so they've only attended one church in their whole life. And there's several people here who are like that. I've always been at Bethany First Church. Only church I've ever attended. But if you had to go looking for a church today, you move out of town and you've got to find a church, what kind of church are you looking for? What do you want in a church? And I got a feeling that all of us are looking for certain things. And I think sometimes we're tempted to say, well, I want, 
I want a church where the music is the kind of music that I can connect with. And I don't think that's a bad thing. I just think it's one of the things. Or I want a pastor that when he preaches, I feel like I can, I can connect with him. And he kind of, you know, keeps my attention enough and, and that he preaches the Word of God. Or I want, I want a church that has a youth ministry where my kids can get connected or a children's ministry where my, where my children could get connected. Maybe there's a lot of things that we think about when we think about this is the kind of church I would look for. Is there anybody, is there anybody here saying, if I went to go looking for a church, it would have to be a church. I mean, we can't skimp on this one, Pastor, okay? There's no compromises here, all right? It has to be a church where the pastor and the people are passionate about helping people come to know Jesus and helping people to become like Jesus. That one I'm willing to die for. That's what I have to have in a church. How many of you have read over the years C.S. Lewis at one time or another? Raising of hands. Lots of you have. In the 1940s, he writes Mere Christianity. And let me show you what he says in Mere Christianity, okay? It's easy to think that the church has a lot of different objects like education or buildings or missions or holding services. But the church exists for nothing else but to draw men into Christ and to make them little Christs. The church exists for nothing else but to draw men into Christ and to make them little Christs. If they are not doing that, then all the cathedrals and all the clergy and all the missions and all the sermons are simply a waste of time. God became man for no other purpose. C.S. Lewis says, let me tell you something as a church. If you are not helping people come to know Jesus, and if you're not helping people become like Jesus, then you're wasting your time. Because that's the only reason, the only reason that God became man. The church exists for no other reason. See, we understand what the ongoing mandate of the church is. And I just got to tell you, okay, that I am watching God do some amazing things in our midst. I, I sat here the other day on this front row, and I turned to my wife, Annette, and I said, Annette, I am literally watching God transform a man's life in front of my very eyes. I'm watching a God change a man and the trajectory of his family's future forever. I'm watching God work in the lives of young families and He is changing who they are. I, I'm telling you, I, I'm watching God bring teenagers to our church on Wednesday night and, and I'm watching them become a part of the community of faith and I'm watching them receive Jesus and I'm watching them trans, be transformed into the image of Jesus. And it's happening in front of my very eyes. I'm seeing it happen with my own eyes. It's the most incredible experiences I've ever had in my life. This is what God wants to do. And, and, and so we are, we are called. We are, we are commissioned. So why don't we talk about that for a few minutes, okay? Here we go. Um, 
I, I told you back in October that I got to spend some time with some old seminary buddies. And we traveled some together for about a week, and we were trying to encourage pastors on those travels. And, and, and when we got back home, one of my friends, Steve Hoskins, who teaches church history at Trevecca Nazarene University, can I get a shout out from anybody in the room? Thank you, Annette. I got my wife as maybe the only other graduate of Trevecca in the room. But we're nuts about Southern Nazarene University. I'm sure I got a shout out there, right? Okay, good deal. But he sent me a story, and it's a story that I, I cannot get off my mind all week long. I, I have contemplated, thought about, been convicted by, listened to, rehearsed. A United Methodist bishop from Uganda, his life was on the line because he was passionate about helping people come to know Jesus and helping people become like Jesus. And he was being threatened with persecution and he had experienced persecution. And his family and his friends and people in the States were saying, they are going to take your life. They're going to kill you. And finally they just said to him, why not just go to the U.S. for a couple of months and just travel the U.S. and tell the story of what God is doing in Uganda. You know that people want to support you. Just, just let the heat die down a little bit. Just go to the U.S. for a couple of months. And so he did. And he found himself in his travels at Duke University where Will Willeman was dean of the chapel. And Willeman tells the story of how one day he said, I brought that bishop into the chapel here at Duke University. Have you ever seen the chapel at Duke University? Have you ever seen what that looks like? And the interior of the building is just absolutely... I mean, it's one of the most magnificent buildings in southern Christendom. Three organs, tombs inside the church of great church leaders... And the bishop looks around and he says, this is the most magnificent church I've ever seen in my life. In Uganda, we have nothing like this. And you know what he asked Willeman? He looks around and he says, with all of this, how many baptisms do you have a year? And Willeman was stunned And sheepishly muttered, Oh, I don't, I don't know, I think maybe three. And the bishop said, Three? Did you, did you say three? He said, In Uganda, most of our churches are held together with mud and straw. We have found the prisons to be a very fertile ground for sharing the gospel. In some of the prisons, we are seeing three baptisms an hour. And he looked puzzled at Willeman and he said, You know what we're going to do in Uganda? And Willeman waited. And the bishop said, We're going to pray for you. Why do we need prayer? Because we've forgotten 
We suffer from memory loss. We've forgotten who we are. We've lost our identity. We've forgotten who we've been called to be. We've forgotten our commission. Let me say it to you in just two ways, okay? In this passage, they fell on their face and they worshiped Jesus. This is a man that had been in a tomb. They watched him down across and they buried him in a tomb. And for two full days he was there. And then he got up and walked out of the tomb. And when they saw the risen Jesus, they got on their face and they worshiped him. I would have done the same thing. I would have gotten on my face and I would have worshiped him. And if you have this knowledge of the resurrection, it comes with great responsibility. And the responsibility of the knowledge of the resurrection is mission. Because Jesus lives, you understand our lives have purpose. Let me say it another way. Jesus says, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Oh, he has all authority now. You mean he is ruling the world. And T. Wright says the claim looks more like this, that he is taking the world from where it has been and moving it to where it can be under the rule of his life-giving love. And then N.T. Wright says, here's the shocker. Guess how he chooses to pull that off. He has decided that he's going to use all of us. And to simply say maybe we get three baptisms a year is not going to cut it. We have been called. And this is what Jesus has asked us to give our lives to. And these three imperatives, go make disciples. He's talking about evangelism. Because he says baptize them, Jesus would have never said, why don't you just find a bunch of baptized people and baptize them again, give you something to do. No, he's talking about making converts. And it's a universal appeal. It's for every nation. I don't care what language you speak, what color your skin is, where you're from. The gospel is for everybody. Everybody gets invited to this table. Baptize them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, the reference to the great Trinity. And then he says, after they are converted, after you have helped people to come to know Jesus, then I want you to help them become like Jesus. I want you to teach them everything I have commanded you. The way and the teaching of Jesus is the way of the disciple. There is only one teacher, and that is Jesus. He is the supreme teacher. Is it possible to have such a thing as an undiscipled disciple? Is that possible? Is it possible to have such a thing as an undiscipled disciple? Is it possible that somebody has embraced Jesus by faith? They were buried with Him in His death and came out of the water, raised to new life, became a member of the family of Jesus Christ. But no one ever said, now come with me. And I'm going to teach you everything that Jesus has commanded. And they were just kind of on their own to try to grow the best they could in any way that they could. Am I looking in the eyes of anybody here this morning who would say, Rick, I am an undiscipled disciple. 
I read an article a few years ago, and here's what the article said. We should quit calling this passage the Great Commission, and we should start calling it the Great Omission, because the modern church just isn't doing it. I did some digging this week, and I found that in 2007, 78% of American adults identified themselves as Christians. Okay? You've got to remember this, okay? 2007, 78% of American adults said, I am a Christian. I'm a follower of Jesus. In 2014, seven years later, although there were 18 million more Americans, adult Americans in the U.S., the number of people dropped from 78% who said, I'm a Christian, to just over 70%. Now, if you go do some research on that, you'll find there's a lot of writing about it. People are very concerned. Why have we seen this sudden drop of people professing to be Christian? I think I have a clue. I think it's because people like me and you and in our churches throughout this great United States of America is not passionate about helping people come to know Jesus and helping people become like Jesus. So I'm just going to look at you and be real honest with you this morning, okay? I'm feeling some of what you're feeling. So what am I going to do? What can I do? I mean, really, Rick, what difference can I make? I mean, what? I don't know where to start. I don't know what to do. I don't know how to do it. Last sentence. Jesus makes a statement about His own deity. You remember in chapter 1, Emmanuel, God is with us. Jesus says, I am Emmanuel. (laughs) I am God with you. I am with you always to the very end of the age. You're not by yourself. You're not alone. You're not here to figure it out by yourself. You're not here to do it by what power you can muster. I am with you and my Holy Spirit will empower you and lead you and guide you. And I believe that God wants to do something through all of us. I believe that God has given us incredible direction. And I don't have it all figured out either, but I think that God has given us the next steps. And I think they're very clear. And so we're going to talk about this through July. In August, we're going to talk about some related things. And when we come to September, here's what you've got to do for me right now. You've got to take out your phone. You've got to take out a piece of paper and pencil. You've got to write this down. September the 11th, 2016. We remember 9-11 for other reasons, okay? It'll be easy to remember, but you've got to be here on that Sunday. Because on that Sunday, I'm going to cast vision to this church like I've never cast vision to this church before. And I'm going to ask every one of you to join me in a 40-day journey. And we are going to do our best to figure out what it means to be passionate about helping people come to know Jesus and helping people become like Jesus. And we're going to start in our own hearts. So would you write it down somewhere, 9-11-2016, I can't plan a trip, I can't be gone, I can't sleep in, even if it's raining, I'm going to come to church that morning. Would you make a note of that date? Would you not let anything keep you from being here on September the 11th, 2016? Because that day, we're going to begin a 40-day journey together. Where's Kyle? You want to come up? Two years ago, 
I'm riding down the road with my Morgan. And I said to her, I said, Morgan, are there any great songs being written? Give me a really good song. She began to think. She starts going through her phone looking at songs, and she goes, Oh, my goodness, Daddy, this is a great song. I said, Who, who wrote it? Who sings it? She says, Jimmy Needham. I said, Okay, play it for me. So as we're driving along, she begins to play this song for me, and I've never had a song speak to my heart like this song spoke to me. And I went home and I wrote a sermon series based on the song. And that Sunday morning, we let you hear the song. It's called Clear the Stage. That morning, I talked about Mary and Martha. And here's what the Bible says. Martha was distracted. But Mary chose to do what was important. And I remember standing here at the end of the service and I said to you, There is no way that I'm willing to stand one day before Jesus and say, Jesus, I'm so sorry, but I was distracted and I did not focus on the important things. There's no way. There's no way one day I'm willing to stand before Jesus and say, Jesus, you don't know how bad I feel about this. I am terribly sorry, but we were really busy. And I just got distracted, I guess, because I never really ever in my whole life ever focused on the important stuff. The two things that you said were so important that you said our lives should be about, that we should be passionate about, that we should give ourselves to, that we should be willing to die for, I never really got with those two things. I guess we were just distracted. We had so much other stuff going. And so I ask you, Lord, in Jesus' name, by the power of your Holy Spirit in these moments, to speak to us now through these words. Our hearts are open to you. I pray this in Jesus' name. Clear the stage and set the sound and lights ablaze. That's the measure you must take to crush the idols. Jerk the pews and all the decorations too Until the congregation's few then have revival Tell your friends that this is where the party ends Until you're broken for your sins you can't be social And seek the Lord and wait for what He has in store Know that great is your reward, so just be hopeful, cause you can sing all you want to, yes you can, sing all you want to, you can sing all you want to, and still get it wrong, worship more than a song Take a break from all the plans that you have made And sit at home alone and wait for God to whisper 
beg him please to open up his mouth and speak and pray for real upon your knees until they blister shine the light on every corner of your life until the pride and lust and lies are in the open so read the word and put to test the things you've heard Till your heart and soul are stirred and rocked and broken Cause you can sing all you want to Yes you can sing all you want to You can sing all you want to But still get it wrong Worship the measure you must take to crush the idols I don't know of any better way to conclude our time together than to ask for grace amen and one of the ways that we receive grace is by sharing the Lord's Supper together I believe that when I take the bread and eat it and I take the drink and drink it, that I receive the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ in that moment. And so would you stand with me and those who are going to service, would you come? We will receive communion the way we traditionally have. The trays will be passed in front of you. Take the cup with you. 
And then after everybody has been served, we will eat and we will drink together. We practice open communion. You don't have to be a member of this local church to partake. And so this morning, if you're in need of grace, I challenge you to receive the elements with us. Jesus at the center of it all. Jesus at the center of it all. From beginning to the end, it will always be. It's always been. Jesus, nothing else matters. Nothing in this world will do. Jesus, you're the Jesus was with his disciples, he took the bread and he broke it and he said to them, this is my body that is broken for you. Eat it. And then he took the cup and he said, this is my blood of the new covenant. Drink it, all of you, and be thankful. now be blessed. 
May the love of God, that's good stuff, isn't it? And the power of the Holy Spirit, that's even better. Good stuff, right? You're going to love this last line. And the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. Amen. You have been listening to a message from Bethany First Church of the Nazarene. Visit us online at bethanynaz.org.